I found out when I was pregnant that she would be born with a limb difference. Um, I had so much fear in the beginning of, oh my gosh, she's not gonna be able to do anything. She's not gonna be able to crawl. She's not gonna be able to go on monkey bars. She's not gonna be able to ride a bike. Once I gave an instruction to a parent and I told them to fill up a bag like it was Halloween and allow the child to have it whenever they wanted without saying you may have it. And within two weeks, they stopped eating candy. Hi, Faith here. Welcome to the very first episode of Stroller Coaster, the podcast that takes you on the wild ride of parenting. Created by Munchkin, powered by innovation and designed to make parents' lives easier and more enjoyable. Like this podcast. Okay, I have a confession. I have cursed in front of my children. I remember the first time I did it. They were two and four four and I was driving and some dude cut me off and I called him a name that is two syllables and begins with an A. And my son said, mommy, what did you just say? I said, astronaut. That man might be an astronaut, honey, because I think I saw a NASA bumper sticker. And this pleased my children very, very much to think that the man in front of us was an astronaut. And my husband looked at me like I was some kind of improv genius because I am. Justin, I don't know. Do you ever do you ever curse in front of your um, kids? It definitely happens, um, you know, in the moment, uh, in the yeah. heat of the moment. Yeah, um, this is Justin, everyone, my my producer, who is a great dad and apparently an, an occasional heat of the moment cursor. Well, you know, I try to do it. I try to be very quiet, sort of whisper, just modulate the tone so it's just a little quiet, little swear. Wait, so you do curse in front of your children, but you whisper it? Yeah, and I will say it sometimes makes them listen harder. Uh, so I don't know if it's... So that they don't miss a syllable. Exactly. They're le- really leaning in to hear, like, what's daddy saying? Something not good. Well, look, I don't mean to cast myself as a saint, right? Like, I, I try never to curse in front of my children, mm. but as soon as they're asleep, it's like a curse-a-palooza between right. me and my husband. You've got a curse bank that you've saved them up, and you're ready to just let them loose. Let's just go nuts. Um, I mean, do you ever wonder, like I do, if those little spur-of-the-moment parenting decisions of saying all the words we're not supposed to say are damaging our children in the long run? A hundred percent. Wonder, I mean, fear is a better word to say, um, uh, perhaps. <laughs> yes, I think parenting is where wonder and fear overlap. Oh. and. In a diagram that leaves your mouth wide open. I live at the intersection of wonder and fear. All right, well, that is where we're going to drive around today for this episode. (laughs) Because we want to find out, do these decisions have an effect on our children as they grow up? So in hopes of answering that question, I will talk to Janet Rotter, a child development expert who's talked with thousands of families throughout her career. Plus, we'll hear an amazing story from a mom who was faced with an incredible parenting challenge. It is very inspiring. Also, some fun times with our parenting confessions, and we wrap it all up with a moment of calm. What parent doesn't need that? So stay right here. Um, put the stroller brake on, though, because it's it's embarrassing when your children roll away from you. I speak from experience. 
I am so happy and relieved to be talking with Janet Rotter, a child development expert, licensed psychoanalyst, and the head of the studio school in New York City. She's worked with thousands of parents and children all around the world in her four decade long career. Is that right, Janet? Yes, it is. I've been a parent for less than one decade, so. And it doesn't now, Janet, change so much over the decades. You understand that your role here is to solve all parenting challenges in this conversation, right? No pressure. I'll do my best. All right. So Janet, as parents, you know we make a thousand decisions each day, right? My friend Heather calls it decision fatigue. And I think we're all wondering how do those decisions, like even the littlest ones, how do they affect our kids in the long run? Or do they? Well, actually, they don't affect your kids as much as you think they affect your kids. Kids are not affected by the things that you often worry about. So can you give me an example of something that we as parents worry about and you're like, eh, don't sweat it? Well, sometimes you worry about whether they're eating enough or whether, you know, they've gotten to bed on time and whether yeah. that is the most important thing. And children don't really care about that as much as you do. What they're worrying about is whether you're there, whether you care for them, whether they feel safe with you, whether they feel loved. Okay, that makes sense. So let me start with this very specific question. What if my need on this day is to curse? And what if I curse in front of my kids? How is that gonna affect them? They'll know that you know how to curse. <laughs> Okay, which is pretty universal and human. And yet I don't want I don't want to role model that for them, right? Like I don't think it's cute when a two or a six year old curses. Well, if they do imitate you, which young children often do, don't pay attention to it. Once you ah. give attention to the cursing, they're going to say, Oh, well, I have power over my parent. That's right, because kids especially little kids, they don't know the difference between negative attention and positive attention, right? All right, here's another one. My daughter loves to climb. When she was a toddler, she would scale this seven foot tall bookcase. And I don't wanna make her afraid when she feels so free and, and confident, but I also obviously don't want her to fall and break her little body. So how can parents deal with that? When you see your child climbing on something, it's natural to be afraid. And it's really important to empower them with the idea that they're in charge of their body. And so if you ask them, are you safe? That will help them internalize the idea that they are in charge of their bodies and they will pay more attention to what's good for them. Well, so another place where we often see our kids maybe in situations where they won't be safe is a playground. Right? And, and playgrounds are like minefields of decision-making for parents. Well, um, a lot of the decisions have to do uh, with the idea of sharing. I remember a, a little three-year-old went to the sandbox and he had a whole bunch of toys and he was busy in the sand working with all the toys. And uh, a little boy came over and, and started to take his toys. Didn't ask him, just started taking them. And he said, I'm using them now. Uh, and the mother of the little boy said, you have so many toys, you can give him a toy. And the little boy's mother came over to advocate for him and said, 
he's not quite finished. He's working on something, and, you know, he'll mm -hmm. let your son have some after he's finished. And the other mother didn't like that answer very much. She wanted him to just relinquish the toys. Oh, boy. And so she backed off with her son, and the other mother sat down, and her son was busy making roads and all kinds of things in the sand. And then when he was finished, he picked up his toys all on his own without prompting and went over to the other boy and said, here, I'm finished with them now. Enjoy. I love that. The children were given a chance to work it out in a way that met their, their needs. What I take away from that story is this. People are told from very early age to share, and they're forced to share. They're told that it's nice to share. And really, people will share when they're ready and when they've had enough for themselves. All right, Janet, we have to get to a very, very urgent and important topic, candy. I love candy. Oh my God, I do too. Don't tell my children how much I love it. Sometimes I lock the door and eat candy so that they won't A, interrupt me, and B, ask for some. What is appropriate for children though? Um, how, how much is too much? As parents, we're always trying to limit it, and are we making our children into crazy candy heads? So once you make candy the treat, the forbidden item, they're going to want it even more. And so... Janet, that candy train's already left the station in my house. I mean, that is how I get my kids to eat their broccoli. I guess your, your point is, once you make something the forbidden fruit... You, it, yes, you then have to take that and desensitize it. So for a little while, you just allow them to have candy. Like as much as they want? Yeah. They're not going to have it forever. Are you sure? Have you ever tried this experiment on someone? Yes. Once I told a parent their child was obsessed, just obsessed, every day, throughout the day, wanted candy. And I said, okay, so let's try an experiment. I said, take a bowl, put a lot of candy in there, and put it on the coffee table. The parent was quite worried that all day long the child would eat candy. So for the first few days, they went to the candy bowl. They checked out whether it was okay or not to have it. And I said, don't say whether it's okay or not. Just leave it there. And after a week, the child decreased their need for the candy. I mean, I completely believe you. And yet I feel like if you gave me a candy bowl... <laughs> I would never stop eating it. Well, your mother didn't let you have enough candy. <laughs> um, all right. So, Janet, everything you're saying is very, very comforting um, in terms of knowing as a parent that every single little decision is not going to destroy our children. And yet I think of TV shows and movies in which there's always this monologue where the most broken character talks about that one horrible decision his parent made, and that's why he turned out to be, you know, a serial killer or, or what have you. So do you think it's a pretty pervasive parenting myth that, oh my gosh, every decision matters so much? Let's look at it this way. Focusing on your decisions and whether they're right or wrong will keep you from being present in the moment and focusing on what they really need. Okay, Janet, we're all breathing a little more deeply. Um, can you please leave us exhausted and grateful parents with one final thought? Sure. Um, my final thought is the most important thing is to love, accept, and listen to your children. And in the end, it will bring joy and laughter and fun. 
If you love Janet as much as I do and want to learn more about her, go to our episode guide at strollercoaster.com. We learned a lot from Janet Rotter about how the everyday decisions we make affect our kids. So now I want to share with you an amazing story about how one mom's decisions helped her child thrive in a big way. Our correspondent Fleece has the parenting story of the day. Seven-and-a-half-year-old Ruby was born with a limb difference. Her arm ends a bit below her elbow, and she has a prosthetic arm she can use. But her mom, Nikki Janino, told me that's not all. So she's got one that she does cartwheels in, and she does one for if she wants to go on the monkey bars, and she's got one for swimming, and she's got one for riding her bike and her scooter. That's the most used one. <laughs> People make prosthetics from 3D printers, and they, they're like an Iron Man arm, and kids get so empowered by this. Prosthetics have certainly come a long way, but there are still emotional challenges to overcome. I found out when I was pregnant that she would be born with a limb difference. Um, I had so much fear in the beginning of, oh my gosh, she's not going to be able to do anything. She's not going to be able to crawl. She's not going to be able to go on monkey bars. She's not going to be able to ride a bike. And then, oh my gosh, her wedding ring. She was missing her left hand. Where was she going to wear her wedding ring? Ruby didn't know she was different because she was born this way. As a baby and toddler, she was just being herself. But then, kids on the playground got curious. Children would ask me, why doesn't she have a hand? And to help children ask Ruby about her little arm or her prosthesis, we would try to be very open and model our verbiage so that Ruby would always hear it and then eventually take over. So one way was to make it obvious that we would prefer that the child just ask us a question rather than stare and snicker or hide behind a tree. And I'd say, well, you know, she doesn't have a hand because she was born that way. She will be able to do everything that you do, but she's going to do it a little bit differently. But that doesn't mean she can't do it. She might just have to work harder or differently. And now Ruby has, she's become confident and picked up that language on her own. So now if a child is following her around the playground, she'll stop, turn around and say, did you want to ask me something? And give some permission to ask. Nikki modeled that language and thought things were moving along well. That is, until preschool, during a moment that Nikki said was her most heartbreaking. One day after a pickup from pre-K-3, Ruby got in the stroller, and when we got a couple of blocks away from school, she got hysterical out of the blue. Ruby declared that she did not like her little arm. She wanted to cut it off so that a full, big arm would grow. This was really, really distressing. So I told her that everybody's made differently. Her difference just happens to be incredibly visible. People can see it, that everyone is different and different is awesome. Then I immediately texted my mom's gang, oh my God, what do I do? Please help, help, help. The friends she reached out to were part of a community of families that include children with limb differences and have become a strong source of support. By the time we got home, I had a video message waiting from a little girl named Gianna. She had sent Ruby a message And it didn't say anything like, don't be upset about your arm. All it did was she made sure her little arm was in the video a lot. And she just talked to Ruby and just reminded Ruby that she wasn't alone. This journey has gone from all those fears in the beginning to meeting all these amazing parents who had already done everything we were going through or about to go through. And they all just said, it's all going to be just fine. 
Besides establishing a community of support and modeling language, Nikki also decided to create open communication. Every time she's going to do something new, a new soccer team, a new dance class, I always put out some kind of feeler to the coach or dance teacher in advance just to give them a heads up. I also then remind Ruby, Ruby, you are used to being you. You know you have one hand. You know you can do everything. But the new people you're going to meet today, they've never seen you before. And then in the classroom, I go in at the beginning of the school year. We just get the elephant out of the room. Right off the bat, we go, look, she's got one hand. And you know what? This is the perfect time to ask all your questions. Throughout all of this, for Nikki, there was one particular moment that was a turning point. At the end of first grade, she had to write a paper on what her favorite thing was about herself. And it was her little arm. The fact that it made her special. That's when I was like, oh my gosh, we're doing something right. We've taught her to be proud of it and not ashamed of it. And she never hides her arm in pictures. She's always got it right out there, punching out at you with it. We're feeling like we've got her on the right track to be proud of herself. You know, and that's a hard thing to do, whether you have a limb difference or not. Justin, that was an amazing story, wasn't it? Uh, Just amazing the way that she instantly just did, knew what to do to make, uh, to make Ruby feel supported and, and great and amazing. Yeah, and, and not just Ruby, but like all the other kids and adults and people Ruby meets, how her mom kind of like, she does like a defensive tackle ahead of time. That's a sports metaphor and I don't usually use them well, but, but is it. that right? Yeah, <laughs> okay. you're crushing but you know it. what I mean? Like, like she's running defense ahead of time, like helping helping kids know it's okay to ask Ruby questions and, and not pretend like Ruby isn't different in a really cool way. Yeah, like rather than feel isolated, she sort of puts her arms around her whole class and just anyone that Ruby encounters is like, hey, I'm gonna make this all right for everyone. Which is, yeah. she becomes, she's everyone's parent. So so thank you, Fleece, for that story. And, and thank you, Nikki, for being an awesome parent. And thank you, Ruby, for being you. At Stroller Coaster, we are all about community. We love hearing from you, parents. So we have a little segment that we call Parenting Confessions, where we get to hear your stories about things that went wrong, things that went right, and anything in between. So we hit the local playground. Here are some of our favorite parenting confessions for this week. Okay, well, the other night, actually, I heard my son and daughter arguing, and they kept going back and forth, don't touch mommy's dinner juice, don't touch mommy's dinner juice, and we had no idea what they were talking about, Uh, just kind of listening in until we figured out they were talking about my wine. Somehow, they started calling my wine mommy's dinner juice. This morning, my daughter came over to me and said, Mommy, 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 I love you, I love you, I love you. Which was like so sweet. But I really think she just wanted my phone. We were heading to visit my parents and uh, I don't know, didn't really communicate with my wife. I don't know what happened. I thought she'd put them in, she thought I'd put them in, but there were no diapers in the bag. So my son had an accident and uh, we thought, what do we have in the car, paper towels? Yeah, all right, let's give it a try. Well, I can tell you from experience, that was not a good call. even tell you what I have used as an improvised diaper. Got your own parenting confession? Send it to us at podcast at munchkin.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
At Stroller Coaster, we love giving back. So we're giving away 10 air purifiers and we will send them to the first 10 listeners who email us at podcast at munchkin.com. Just put air purifier in the body of the email. Hey, that's the show. Thank you for taking the ride with us. And thanks to our guests, Janet Rotter, Nikki Janino, and Fleece, and my intrepid producer, Justin, who knows how to whisper all the best swears. Right, Justin? Secret. They're my secrets. (laughs) I want to thank Munchkin for helping us put this together. No wonder they're the most loved baby brand in the world. You can buy all your Munchkin products at Target. At Stroller Coaster, we're all about community. If you have a parenting confession story you'd like to share, a question, a topic you want to hear about, or I don't know, a primal scream you want to let out, don't hesitate to reach out to us at podcast at munchkin.com. We also have something for parents and children to enjoy together. Our storytelling podcast, Stroller Coaster Storytime. It's a short, fun, and creative take on children's stories performed by improv actors and directed by a nine-year-old kid. Yes, it is such a cool way to tell stories. And now something every parent can use, a timeout for yourself. Munchkin supports preserving the natural world by working with organizations like the International Fund for Animal Welfare. So we want to bring the natural world to you. This is the sound of a mountain lion purring with her cubs. Relax. We'll see you next week on Stroller Coaster.